Hey, if you like what we do here on Adventure Rider Radio and you enjoy listening to the shows, we would really appreciate your support. The show was built on a model of advertising and listener support. That's why we don't have a ton of ads on the show because we count on you coming in and supporting as well. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Well, they met on the road, all of them. They live in Guatemala, although they're from the U.S. and Canada. Riding is part of their everyday life, exploring the beauty that Guatemala has to offer, the place where they live, rivers, lakes, volcanoes, all by motorcycle, all with a different kind of passenger. Now, today we're going to talk about why they live in Guatemala and what they do there and, and the fun that they have. We're also going to talk about travel, and we're going to hear a few stories that may keep you on the edge of your seat a first-hand account of a zombie apocalypse. Not that kind of zombie. That's the one. Real, live zombies. I think that's an oxymoron. The stuff we have on Adventure Rider Radio. By the way, it's okay to let the kids listen. You'll be safe. Just stay real close to me as we go through this story. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Simon Simon Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. Hi, I'm Jess Stone. I'm the founder of Roughly, where we make the K9 Moto Cockpit. And I'm Greg Stone, her sidekick. Yes, Greg, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. You know, you said it so fast there. I didn't even get what you're saying. What, what is it? Roughly, then cockpit. I, you're going to have to slow it, down, slow it down. The canine moto cockpit, uh, motorcycle dog carrier for medium and large dogs. Canine moto cockpit. Okay. And, and what is that? Well, uh, basically, you know, we... Um, Jess adopted a dog when we got out here to Guatemala about five years ago. And as a couple that only has a couple of motorcycles, um, we had to solve that problem so we could keep riding and doing, you know, adventure rides. And so we designed what ended up becoming the canine moto cockpit. And it's essentially a low profile um, motorcycle dog carrier that puts your dog in a laying down position and surrounds them with a padded tubular frame, sort of like a uh, the roll bars on an ATV or Jeep. Right. Now, I, I'm I'm just guessing here. Maybe three words you hear quite often when you're telling somebody about this is, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, we get that a lot. We get that a lot. Well, there are a lot of people, a lot of motorcyclists out there that have dogs that want to take them with them. Um, and so there, there are really not that many options on the market, especially when you have a medium or large size dog. So we're talking like bigger than like 50 pounds. Um, and so that's really um, how we how we started this. We had people come up to us um, and send us messages and ask us, where did you get that carrier when they saw me riding with Moxie? 
And uh, we we would sell the build guide as like a DIY where you could do it yourself if you had the, the skills for welding and upholstery. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who just don't have access to that. So then we started to fabricate them uh, remotely here from Guatemala. And, and of course, I'm kidding you, but but um, yeah, it, you know, it's something that you don't really see mixed very often. There, there are some people around who you see usually with sidecars. That seems to be the most common one. Or like you're saying, because you're describing medium and large dogs, you know, with a, with a little dog, little dog's easy. You can stick it inside your jacket or, you know, there's, there's people mm-hmm. do all kinds of things. And Australians, the Australian farmers, they used to anyway, just put on the gas tank. <laughs> That's another story. But um, yeah, medium and large dog, you just th- figure that, okay, well, if you're going to choose that, that's the time to call it quits with the bike, either get a sidecar or call it quits with a bike and, and get, I don't know, some sort of overlanding vehicle with more wheels. Exactly. Yeah. That's what most people think about when they have a big dog like that, that there's really no way to take them on the back. They would have to sort of um, sacrifice the the sort of the normal riding style and get a sidecar or a trailer. Um, but that's really not what I wanted to do. I still wanted to sort of ride like a normal adventure rider on my bike, um, but have Moxie with me. And so that's why we decided that having her on the back is probably the best and the safest way for me. Is this something that this, this uh, carrier that you made, the K9 moto carrier or moto cockpit rather, is this something you just bolt on and then your dog's good to go? Like, does it clamp your dog in or you can have to train the dog to, to deal with this? So the cockpit is um, a custom build. And the reason we do that is particularly for adventure riders, but really across the board. Um, we've all got aftermarket accessories. We've got our bikes configured in the way that, that we like best and that works for us. And so we really did not want to have... Um, you know, our riders have to make those sacrifices. Well, you can't use the the panniers or you, you know, you're not going to access the lids or things like that. So we do it as a custom build so that we can accommodate, you know, things like aftermarket luggage racks and so forth. Um, and, and so the, um, the mounting accessories that we make are specific to not just your bike, but your setup. Um, and then, yeah, it mounts on. One of the kind of key features um, that the custom build allows us to do is uh, for, you know, the vast majority of bikes and certainly adventure bikes where you have a passenger seat, um, we incorporate the cockpit into the passenger seat so that there's essentially no bottom to the cockpit over the passenger seat. And that essentially makes it so that the dog is much better integrated or connected to the motorcycle. The motorcycle itself is carrying the dog's load so that the, the carrier uh, is not, doesn't have, to, it can be smaller, it can be lighter, and it's putting a lot less stress and strain and, and sort of um, errant forces on, on the chassis. Oh yeah. Putting the weight where it should be right on the seat as if you, you've got a pillion on there. And also I guess another thing it does is lowers the center of gravity. However, slightly it it still does. Absolutely. And I mean, when you're talking, you know, uh, a a load like a 75 pound, you know, shepherd like Moxie, and we certainly have riders out there that, you know, are up into the eighties, nineties and a hundred pounds. Um, every inch, every few centimeters makes a huge difference. And especially again, for adventure riding, where, you know, we're not spending most of the day or hopefully not spending most of the day, you know, upright on interstates. I mean, we really designed it for the conditions out here in Southern Guatemala where it's highlands, it's really twisty mountain roads, uh, blown out pothole tarmac, um, loose gravel and off-road. So, you know, it had to be able to stand up to those conditions and also for a relatively tall bike like uh, Jess's G650. So with a custom build, though, that, that sort of limits things as far as production goes. It's not like you're manufacturing there and throwing them out to different retailers that are selling them. You, you're, you're customizing each one like on an order-by-order basis. Exactly. Each one is custom built. So every every person who orders, they have their own project page where we, we go through the steps of what they need to do. They need to take photos of their bike. Um, when we get those photos, we mark them up to tell them which measurements we need them to take. Um, And from there, we'll create a build guide that will show you where the cockpit would sit on your bike. Um, Then they double check the measurements. And then from there, after they've approved it, then it goes to the painting and the upholstery uh, where they also get to select their their own colors for the vinyl and the stitching as well. So it is really custom. There's a lot of back and forth um, between us and and the rider just to make sure that all of those measurements are correct because it is remote. um, So we want to make sure that we, we get it right on the first try. And what do you have a machine shop there or something like that that you're you're building it in? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. We have a small workshop here in Panajachel, Guatemala, um, about five minutes from the lake. <laughs> and it's it's just fantastic. And we've got some really expert builders. Um, and uh, yeah, we go through this sort of pre-build process. And once it's approved, um, those sort of schematics go over to the builders. And then we're working with them, um, you know, hand in hand to get uh, each person's, each rider's cockpit uh, built to spec. So we, we, like I asked about, you know, the dog itself, the, the being trained to get in there. How long, in your experience with the people who you're selling these things to, how long does it take them to train their dog to get into this thing and feel comfortable on the back of the bike? <laughs> well, see, that's the funny thing. It's the dog is normally the one who takes to it like immediately. It's normally the rider <laughs> that has more <laughs> issues about it. Uh, what we found is um, with a lot of positive reinforcement, giving them treats um, and making sure that they're comfortable in the carrier. Once they once they feel comfy there and they're trusting it, then it's just really easy. They'll leap up there. They'll turn around. They'll lay down and be ready to be harnessed in. Um, so it's more the rider who we, we find uh, really wants to sort of take it slow, sort of like the way that I practiced with it at the very beginning as well. I was really anxious about like, is she going to fidget too much? Is it going to throw me off balance? And like, I need to go very slowly first. First, we're just going to walk the bike and then we're just going to turn on the engine a little bit. And so it was it was it was really slow going for me. But Moxie really took to it like like nothing. Just just had us like scheduled out, I think, for for probably like a three month, you know, uh, sessions worth of few hours each day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it really turned into um, probably two or three hours over one weekend that we were riding around town. Yeah. Uh, well, the German Shepherd's a smart dog. They, they do catch on to things really quick. The, the thing with, I'm thinking of my dog, my, like I've got a German Shepherd mix. I think she's, she's got to be at least 75 pounds, maybe more. My, my thought process is getting up, getting her up there on the back of my bike. That, that's a lot to, a lot, like it's a, quite a distance. Yeah, for the most part, they can leap right up. Like we, what we do is we also have a canine moto harness and the harness has a handle on the back. So that can help when you want to support her to, to leap up into the carrier. Oh, right. You grab a hold and sort of giving her a little lift as, as she jumps. Exactly, right. exactly. And at the beginning, that's what we did just to sort of guide her. After that, she eventually just was able to leap right back, leap up on her own without me supporting her. Um, and then she just leaps right back down at the end. So the whole idea, there's not, not so much for day trips, really. It, it's more for travel. I mean, obviously you could do day trips, but I mean, the idea is you can leave your dog at home if you wanted to, if your dog will do that. But this is for, for traveling, which you guys have done some traveling w with your dog. What, what kind of traveling have you done? Well, yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. I mean, um, we wanted to set it up for our use case, which we consider to be, you know, among the sort of most um, demanding or grueling. Um, and And then anything sort of less than that, I mean, the sort of, afternoon ride to Starbucks or something is just naturally a lot easier. And, um, you know, if it can perform for sort of off-road and mountain twisties, then it's going to do pretty well in surface streets. Um, but yeah, you know, you asked about, uh, sort of the riding we've done. So, um, really a, a lot of, of, um, I would say three, four week long trips around, um, Central America, Guatemala, where we live and, and Mexico as well. Um, that have just been a blast to kind of discover the area and really get a feel for what it's like to travel with a dog, you know, adventure motorcycling with a dog. Oh, I want to ask you about border crossings because that's, I'm sure, on anyone's mind who's listening to this right now. But the, the other thing is, I'm wondering is, I think the next question, you get your dog up on the back of the bike and off you go. And You mentioned you can ride rough stuff. So what happens when you drop the bike? So I, I think I've dropped the bike quite a bit with Moxie on the back. Um, and, and the most important thing that um, that we do with the carrier is that the carrier is built so that the dog is laying down. And she's laying down and she's also harnessed in. Um, that's something that we found is sort of the safest bet for a large dog like this. Um, having her harnessed in the front and with her, uh, the harness that she's wearing, it also has like an additional piece that goes back down towards her waist and goes as a, has a waist belt as well. And from there, you can tether her to the harness, to the cockpit in the back um, so that there's two points in the back and two points in the front. That really keeps her down. Um, we normally use rock straps, which have a little bit of given them, a little bit of that bungee feel so she can still move around, but she can't sit up. She can't stand up. Um, she's still staying in that position. 
position. So when I've gone down with her, normally what happens is she just sort of stays suspended in her cockpit. Um, I've got my my pannier cases on the side there. So when I go down, normally it hits the pannier and she's still well away from the ground. Um, so there's we've never had an issue where she has uh come out of the cockpit or hurt herself or anything like that. And when we do go down, normally I'll jump off the bike. Moxie will be hanging there. I'll unclip her. She'll jump down. And then she's just ready to go right, right away again. The moment <laughs> that I've got the bike right. She's, she's fine. She's, she's not freaked out. I mean, like maybe now no. after so long, but I mean, at first she, she wasn't freaked out. She didn't want to no. like, knock like, out. I, I remember my, my first tip over, it was like a slow speed tip over. Um, and I was so worried about it. And I was babying her. I mean, when she got off, making sure that all of her paws, were okay and she was doing fine but she was fine she was looking around sniffing around we were in mexico at the time and uh i just righted the, righted the bike and then she just just got right back on like it was nothing so yeah. i think that uh it's a good testament to the fact that uh they're not traumatized by by that type of um fall and probably jim the thing to to kind of add to that is i mean jess is saying she's sort of suspended but um, you know, she's leaning or, or laying against the side, uh, the side tubes of the frame, which are padded. And that's kind of one of the key design pieces. You know, people think like this really big carrier, this big box that I'm going to put around my dog is going to protect, protect them. And what you're sort of doing is putting a vase inside of a box. that's going to get, you know, shaken around and shattered. You really want more of that, again, that kind of roll bar padded, uh, tubes because, um, the carrier itself uh, should not be the uh, the sort of the danger yeah. to the dog. And so with those padded tubes, I mean, the dog just kind of shifts against the tube. They, they lay on the side there against the tubes while the bike is on its side. And then you unclip them and, and you know, she hops right down. So I think the I think the first border crossing we did was to Mexico from Guatemala. Um, and normally what you need is an export permit from the country that your dog is from. And so Moxie's from Guatemala. So then you have to get the normal paperwork, making sure that she's got her rabies uh, vaccination up to date, that she's got her deworming and that she also has a, a document from the vet, the vet here saying that she's in good health. Um, those are the key things. Then the export permit itself is through the the ministry here that you have to go and, and get that certified. Um, and that basically is saying that all of her documents are correct and that she's allowed to leave the country and enter in somewhere else. That's country specific, though, that document that you're talking about. Yes. So the so even if you're so if your dog is from the States and you want to go to Mexico, you're going to have to go to the USDA to get the approval from them to get that document to to ship them anywhere else or to travel anywhere else, uh, any other country. And you have to state where you're going. So you need that um, document. Plus, you need the vet records showing that it's they've had their shots. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So sort of her pet passport. Right. Um, and that's same thing for Honduras and El Salvador. Uh, when we took her there, it was the same issue. Um, so each country sort of needs their own. So it can get pricey um, and they can um, there are certain um, specifics for each country. Like, for example, when we went to Belize. Um, at, we were sort of all sort of standing in line there. Um, it was probably like two hours of waiting to get into um, into Belize. Once we got in, we basically go into the secondary screening room with the dog and they ask for an additional piece of paperwork, which was something that you needed to fill out uh, 72 hours beforehand before arriving in Belize and getting that approved. And we had that all done because I had researched it, but there were people there who had arrived with their pets and they wanted to enter and and Belize was basically saying, no, nope, you didn't do this one step. And so you can't come in. Um, so there's you just have to make sure that when you are crossing borders that you really understand what the requirements are, because they also do change uh, fre uh, pretty frequently. Um, for myself, uh, right now, there actually is a uh, the CDC has put in a temporary ban for dogs coming from high-risk rabies countries, which Guatemala is one of them. And so the only way that you can enter back into the States with your dog is you have to apply for this special permit. And it's not guaranteed. Um, and it's something that would uh, that requires you to have a rabies titter test by a, an approved CDC lab, which is quite expensive. Having all of those other normal documentation about from the vets, the rabies certificate, all of that. Um, and then just the long process of waiting for the permit. So right now, that's something that started in July and it's uh, that temporary ban is in for a, a year 
But like, just like I mentioned, things change and you never know what's going to happen. So you always have to make sure you're up to date. Mm, yeah, you'd expect that obviously it's going to add some uh, difficulty to you to crossing borders. Now, when you cross a border, now all borders are different, of course, but um, sometimes what they do is they, they, they put the dog in a cage sort of thing right away. You sort of, they take the dog and, and put it in while they're checking through your stuff, et cetera. Have you run into that? No, we haven't been in a place where they require her to be in quarantine where they're checking her. Normally, we, we take her down from the carrier. We have her on the leash. We walk her into the place. They tell us to sit down and um, wait until we're, we're served. Um, and then um, in two of the cases, we did have a vet come and sort of just briefly look her over, making sure that her looking at her teeth, making sure that she doesn't have any visible signs of any fleas. Um, and then the main the key thing was looking over her paperwork, but they didn't necessarily like take her away from us and, and put her in a kennel um, where there are certain places like if you bring her to Australia from certain countries, um, there's like a 10 day quarantine period where you have to leave her. Oh, wow. That could be tough. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Letting your dog go somewhere. So, so um, have you heard of any countries? Have you ran into any countries um, where it's a real problem, though, where, where you end up they turn you away and say, no, you're not doing that? No, I have not heard of any countries that would turn you away. There are um, certain ones that will ask for uh, that rabies titter test from a certain approved um, labs. That's something, especially if you're going to Europe, it's that same sort of uh, requirement from their labs. Um, and, but in terms of when we were, we were looking at the different countries and if there, is, if there are any specifics about why they wouldn't allow her in, she's a German shepherd, so she's not on like a restricted uh, breed list. Uh, like a pit bull or some of the other uh, uh, more um, other breeds. Um, so she can normally enter in um, with the appropriate uh, paperwork. Well, one thing I know about dogs now, I've had dogs my whole life as well. And uh, one thing I learned about them for backpacking is they don't carry much, if anything. They're not very good at carrying <laughs> stuff. And you end up having to carry things for them, like their food, et cetera. So how do you handle all the extra things? And what extra things are you carrying for the dog? Yeah, so the, we have the carrier on the back, obviously, and she's got the weight in the back. But what I like to do is I have the, the pannier tank bags in the front. And so that allows me to have some extra space for her, um, for her kibble on one side. And on the other side, I've got her water and her bowls um, and her toys and her leash. Um, so that sort of balances us out. It, uh, it gives me space to keep her things um, some of her other uh, needs, I guess, are she's got a rain a rain fly uh, that will go over her in the event that it's raining. Um, she's always wearing her her Rexpex dog goggles, so that's great for her eyes. Um, and then anything else, her bed is rolled up and it's attached right to the carrier. And we also have been using the uh, Giant Loops uh, possible pouches on the side, and that allows us to add in anything additional if we need like wet food, cans of wet food or anything like that, um, that fits there on the side as well. Well, to, to be fair, Jim, um, Jess has the benefit of having me as the, uh, <laughs> the bureau that carries all the, the camping gear. Oh, so, right. You're the second so that, bike. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so that, that does help. I mean, the giant loop, uh, they were good enough to, as Jess said, provide us with a bunch of gear and, and those possible pouches are great uh, for putting on the outside of the of the cockpit. And for those of our riders who are riding solo with their dog and don't have a support uh, <laughs> motorcycle, <laughs> um, they will they will strap uh, duffels and, and gear to the outside of the cockpit, like mm -hmm. on either side. Um, and that's where you can, you know, place your tent and things like that. Greg, as soon as you said that, it just made me think of the whole Charlie and Ewan argument that people make, you know, immediately. So, so what you're saying is, okay, you guys have done it, but you've had the backup motorcycle and you've had all the fanfare to go with it. So it, it not, not quite the, you know, the real hardcore one person on a bike. I'm kidding you, of course. But, totally but, guilty of, of yes, Jess having her, her support vehicle. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, once once you're tearing down a, a gravel road or something, especially, you know, a, a crash in a, in a river crossing or mm -hmm. something, um, it, uh, it, it's got all the look and feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Jess, you're about to take this thing big. You're, you're about to put this, as you said, 75-pound German Shepherd on the back of your motorcycle. And I kind of think you're planning on riding around the world. Can you talk about that? <laughs> sure. 
so this sort of came up. It's been now a few months. We've been been we were we were thinking about it for a long time. Like what adventure writer doesn't want to do an around the world trip at some point? So that's always sort of been on our radar. Um, the other aspect is I've been I've been really looking for a way to support uh, this nonprofit called Girl Up. Um, they are a uh, they were founded by the United Nations Foundation and they work in 120 countries around the world and they provide leadership training to girls. Um, so it's all about trying to achieve gender equality um, and providing girls the skills that they need to advocate for the issues that matter most to them. So it's just such a, a cool um, a cool mission that I just really jive with the idea that these girls are getting the, this training and building their self-confidence. Like I can just really relate to that. So when I was thinking about what more we can do to support the nonprofit and I was thinking, well, I do have something that's sort of cool and unique that's going on. Like I ride with my, my 75 pound German shepherd. Um, and then I thought, well, I could ride around the world with Moxie and I can go and visit the girls in these uh, these girl up clubs around the world and sort of share my story and hear what they have to say and help maybe inspire them to dream big and sort of persist in their goals the same way that I am here with with this big adventure in front of me. So I sort of married the two of these um, these two passions that I have together. And that's how this around the world trip um, started. So it's going to be a it's a fundraiser where I'm aiming to raise one hundred thousand dollars for their uh, global empowerment projects around the world. Wow. And it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a pretty lofty goal for me, especially somebody who is not the best when it comes to uh, off road riding. Um, we're going to be going to five continents. So Africa is one of them. And I know that the roads there are not always paved. <laughs> so it's something that I am going to struggle with. I know. Um, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to make for a, an interesting adventure. Okay, we're going to take just a short break while I tell you about a couple of things here. When we come back, well, we've got a, a story. That's the story that I've alluded to at the start about the, the zombie-like people wielding machetes, invading a camp, sending Moxie into guard mode, and things get kind of tense. Stay with us. All it takes is your thumb to use it. It's that simple. Yet this little device will change the way you ride for the better. It's the Atlas Throttle Lock, made of a, well, really as a result of a round-the-world trip and a broken wrist, which convinced David and Heidi Winters that there had to be a better way. But when they couldn't find a better way that they wanted, they became designers and entrepreneurs. They designed the Throttle Lock that has the craftsmanship of an Apple product. It's simple, it's easy to use, easy to bolt on. As a matter of fact, it's one tiny little screw and an ingenious locking system that holds it on. And then you've got yourself a sort of cruise control, so to speak. You press one button to engage it, the other button to disengage. The feeling is firm and positive and oozes quality. It's tiny. It fits nicely on most any bike and you can remove it and put it on your other bike. It's kind of the Swiss watch of throttle locks in my mind. The Atlas Throttle Lock. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Turkana Gear, that's Turkana with a K, is a new motorcycle luggage company founded by some experienced travelers that came up with something they felt was missing on the market. Mickness and Elsby from Peaky Peaky Overland and a few other travelers combined their experience with what they've learned with the luggage they've used while they've been traveling to design luggage that they say is tough, durable, long-lasting, and affordable. Their idea was design luggage that sort of exceeds the requirements for the task, lasts for years, and doesn't break the bank, leaving you more money to do what you want to do, which is ride. Soft panniers, dry bags, duffel bags, handlebar bags, gear designed for travel by travelers. The website is turkanagear.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, turkanagear.com. And that's T-U-R-K-A-N-A. -A. The link is also on our website. Just look for their logo. 
You know, you could easily miss one of the most important mods you can do for your motorcycle. Now, I say easily miss because they often don't get the attention, at least that I think they deserve. While you're out shopping for Farkles, it's usually those ones that stand out a lot that get the most attention, particularly those electronic ones. But it's your foot pegs that are going to give you better grip, more control, and very likely more bang for the buck than most of the other Farkles you've chosen so far. But the real trick is, with foot pegs, to get seriously quality foot pegs that are designed specifically for adventure riding. And those are IMS products. IMS products has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, all made of cast certified 17-4 stainless steel, all warrantied for life, all made in the USA. IMSproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So the, the trip around the world now, this this has to be different because you have the dog. So I imagine you're, you're looking at, you know, you mentioned about going into Australia, for instance, that would be one that I think I would avoid. You may not be, but because just being separated from the dog for that time period, maybe it's not as bad as it sounds. But so how do you come up with your route and what route do you have? So we're going to be starting here in, in Guatemala, here in Lake Atitlan. We're planning to start on March 5th is our launch date. Um, from there, we're going to go up through Mexico and then... I mentioned that there are those logistical challenges with getting the permit for Moxie, um, which uh, when we looked into it, it looks like we're going to have to uh, do a little bit of a, uh, there's a bit of a to-do to get Moxie into the States. So we'll probably have to fly her into LAX. Um, I will fly with her. Um, and well, hold, hold on, Jess. So <laughs> we ride up to, to Tijuana. Okay, because we've got to get obviously close there. So the CDC situation with the um, high risk, you know, rabies countries Mm -hmm. means that the land borders to dogs are closed, which means at this point, there are only three um, airports airports that will actually, I guess, be staffed by a CDC inspector where they will receive the dog. Fortunately, LAX near the border is one (laughs) of them. But that means that we're riding up to Tijuana with Moxie. Uh, because it has it is an overland journey, but then Moxie need uh, and Jess need to go back to Mexico City in order to fly into LAX. I will be mm-hmm. hanging out in a motel or something with the two motorcycles, um, and then Jess and Moxie will drive down or get driven down or hitchhike down <laughs> to the border. Jess will cross to pick up her motorcycle cross again to put moxie back on and then we can continue oh wow yeah that's so just it's a your bit of first to do no not your first border but that's just one of the, your first border crossings <laughs> exactly yeah this whole thing with the cdc sort of uh put a damper on our our, our the route that we wanted to take but um it is going to allow us to get into the states and we'll be there i mean it'll be a huge giggle just to to watch and be part of i mean this whole rigmarole <laughs> uh that that shouldn't be happening, but is. Yeah. Well, most people sweat, you know, just getting themselves and their motorcycle across the border, but you're just creating a whole lot of work for yourselves to, to do this mm-hmm. and, and uh, to get Moxie. Moxie must be very special. She must feel really good about this. <laughs> we look over at her and we say the same thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't yeah. care. As long as she's with you, that's all she's worried about. Exactly. So then from the States, um, we do want to go into Canada um, and go into British Columbia and Northwest Territories and go up that side. Um, And then we'll go down. We did want to go up to Alaska, but again, because of the permit issue, flying her and doing all of that, I think we might have to bail out on Alaska. Oh, because you're back Um, to square one again there. Uh, Again, you get your, wow. (laughs) Yes. So I think we're going to uh, put a kibosh on on Alaska for this trip. Unless this changes, it's a one-year ban. It is. So in June, maybe it'll change. Um, But then we're going to go to Toronto where my family is. And from there, the goal is to fly ourselves, the bikes and Moxie to Europe. Um, We're hoping that the Air Canada program is going to be working again next year. Um, They put a a hold on it for this past, uh, I think, a year and a half now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're hoping that um, their ship a bike and ship a pet are going to be working well for us uh, in September next year. And that would allow us to go into Europe, then we'll go south, and we're sort of going to go quickly through Europe so that we can get to Africa, go down the west side of Africa, down to South Africa, back up the east side, and then we will be back into Europe 
for the uh, spring and summer of 2023. And then we will start heading east into Asia. And then probably from Malaysia, we will likely, depending on our situation, if we want to make it to Australia and potentially um, go through the, the rigmarole with having Moxie in quarantine, we, we might decide at that point. Otherwise, the plan was to go from Malaysia back down to Chile or to, to Buenos Aires, to Argentina, and then go back up South America and then end in Guatemala. Wow. That sounds like quite the adventure. Now, it sounds like you've got the first part with crossing the U.S. border sort of worked out. You know what you're doing with that. Is the rest of it that well planned or is it sort of open at this point? Right now, it's pretty open. Um, I've I've obviously looked into everything that we need to do for Europe um, in terms of having getting Moxie across the borders and all of that. Uh, and that doesn't seem to be too any more difficult than it is to get to the States at this point. Um, and then in Africa, there are certain requirements uh, in certain countries. And I think we're going to just have to play those by ear and get information when we're, we're closer um, and then on the ground there to just make sure that we have everything um, in order um, to pass through there. And what total time do you to give yourself to do this? Well, so we've got it um, planned. I'm, I'm using air quotes right now for, for 18 months. I mean, I think we're pretty clear that that's um, a, a big thing to, to bite off. Um, so if it if it extends beyond that, we're prepared for that. But the, the other sort of, I don't want to call this complication. I mean, for us, this works really well. Um, but it's not like we're able to just sort of dive into a full-time, you know, riding every single day. Obviously, um, we have a lot of sort of we have employees and so forth for with roughly that that are, will be stepping up and helping with all the day to day operations. But we still manage roughly uh, from the road. So so there's that in terms of, you know, doing this as we go and, and working remotely. And then the other piece is, um, you know, so we have our. Uh, on two wheels and four paws video series where we've uh, shared all of Moxie's adventures on Jess's bike, and um, we've got a we will be putting out a weekly episode as well. So um, you know, figure there's several days a week of riding, and then a few days of having to um, do administrative work. <laughs> mm, and if you're crossing many borders, you're you're going to have your hands full as far as time wise go. Yes. Yes. I think 18 months might be, um, a little ambitious, um, but we're, 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 we're okay with that. We're available to, to go longer. And I think that it really sort of depends on, on how the, the flow of the trip ends up working out in terms of how much time we, we need to spend off the bikes, um, working versus how much we can ride. How do you think traveling with the dog changes or will change a trip like that for you? So there are a few things that like, like aside uh, from the logistical, I mean, that's obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the cool things about traveling with a dog is you end up picking sort of different types of locations to stop at. Um, a lot of the times when you go and do a ride, you'll have a rest stop at like a gas station because you're there, you need to fill up. So you get off the bike, you go in, you grab some chips and a Coke and, you know, like you, that's where you're going to take your break. But when you're with a dog, you got to think about where are the places that they can go. They need grassy areas. They want to be able to run free and stretch their, their legs. So you don't end up really stopping at the gas station so much anymore. Now you're going to go and look for like a nice open field or you're going to look for a forest area or somewhere where it's going to be nice for them so that they can have a, a good experience too. And that ends up being even better for, for us, you know, like now we can pack a picnic and we can go and take a little break there um, instead of just sort of sitting on the side at the gas station, um, just sort of waiting, waiting out some time there and resting. Now it just becomes a lot more enjoyable for us and for the dog. And honestly, Jim, that that's probably for me one of the most fundamental ways that it transforms the experience. It, it kind of maybe seems small or I mean, you don't need the dog in order to not spend as much time at gas stations. But we get into sort of, you know, we all get into sort of a rut of like, well, I'll just fill up like exactly like Jess described. Um, and then you sit there and you say, well, I mean, I did some nice riding today, but what else? Like when I stopped, all I saw were a bunch of gas stations and we had some rides back in the day where you know, that's how it would go. And now, I, I mean, I can't tell you the number of rivers that we stop at mm -hmm. because it's a perfect place for Moxie to plunge in. And then we put our feet in. And, and so in such a small and yet 
totally profound way it it transforms that experience. Oh, that's interesting. So it's just that little push. And I know exactly what you're talking about. It's so easy to just fall into, well, we'll just have a snack here. You already stopped. But if you have an excuse, a reason to go somewhere else, then that's what pushes you into seeing the other spots. So that's interesting. An added mm-hmm. bonus to, to, uh, to having the dog. So Moxie does her job. Exactly. Exactly. And she, she really enjoys it. So it just makes it that much more pleasurable for all of us. And it's sort of the same thing with the, with the accommodations. Um, having a big dog like this, uh, not everybody wants to accept a large 75 pound dog. A lot of the times here in Central America, they're, they're concerned that the dog, and I'm sure anywhere that the dog is going to destroy the hotel room, um, and make a mess. And so we we have to just make sure that the places that we're going to go are going to be pet friendly. Um, a lot of the times we will use the Bring Fido app to see which places or we'll use um, a filter on one of the searches to just make sure that they're pet friendly. Um, and then the other thing that we like to do is, is we'd rather camp with her. Um, it's just better for, for all of us where we can go and just be outside together. Um, she sleeps in the tent with us. Um, but then she gets to really enjoy being out there, especially if we end up picking like a cool campsite that's got like got water for her or it's got cows or donkeys or something for her to play with or look at. So it just it's, makes it better for all of us. She's and, playing and with the to, cows or the donkeys? She yeah. is. <laughs> Here, here's to, to give sort of a, a good kind of concrete couple of examples about that. Um, you know, first of all, there's there's a lot of places that are very kind of pet agnostic. It's like they, they, their first response might be, no, you can't bring your dog because mostly nobody's asked them. And so if you sort of immediately take their, you say, oh, they said no, and then you, you ride off. Usually the best approach that we found is you just kind of hang out a bit and sort of, are you sure? I mean, look at how well behaved she is, you know, and then eventually they sort of um, allow it. So an example was uh, this waterfall area in Chiapas that we went to and it was, you know, like kind of plunging down a dirt road, like down the hillside to get there. It was like towards the end of the day, you didn't really want to have to turn around and go back up that and who knows, you know, back to the next town was going to be a ways. So instead of just packing up, oh, let's get going, you just kind of, well, are you sure? I mean, we could just camp out here and, and, and eventually they, you know, they're, they're fine with it. They say, oh, well, don't let the dog go down the trail. And then, of course, the place closes at night and you've got totally free reign and nobody's there and, and you do whatever you want. And, and that was, in fact, the exact thing that happened as well in, in Belize when we visited yeah. uh, the Blue Hole National Park. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people like they'll see the dog and the whole get up of like riding with the dog. And and like there have been times, where, you know, they'll kind of give you a little special treatment or a little like they want to be part of that. And so these couple of guys that are like the the guards there, would you call mm-hmm. them? Right. And they're like, well, look, you can't go in the caves uh, with the dog. But if you stay after hours, like we close the the place and then you can go in there and do whatever you want. So, okay, oh, great. Wow. We camped out at Blue Hole and then yeah. at like six, seven o'clock when it got dark, we put our, our headlamp, you know, headlamp things on and, and we toured the cave. For the lunking. It was really, yeah, fantastic. Well, that was one of the things that I was thinking of when I was asking about this is, is how does it change your interaction with people? But obviously you get some different, but maybe special interaction with people that you wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, we get we get a lot of uh, I get a lot of attention, obviously, when I'm driving, uh, when I'm riding, there are people who will will come up beside me in their car and they'll, they'll roll their window down. They want to take photos. They want to do videos, um, which can be a bit of a safety thing, um, <laughs> especially when they're not paying attention to the road and they want to come close to me. So it's just something that cockpit riders need to be aware of. And I'm sure all the people who've got their cockpits and are riding out there have experienced that as well. So, so what you're saying is there's a lot of videos on the internet of you screaming, get away from me. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's me saying, Moxie, look, Moxie, look, to oh, try sorry. and get her to look at them for the photos <laughs> but there and then same thing at any time we stop people want to take photos with her and um and it's it's a good experience for me especially when they're kids because so moxie's a big dog and here in in in, in guatemala there are people who are, are can be scared of larger dogs and they often will think that she's male which makes them think that she's aggressive and that she'll bite that's like one of the biggest questions that i get asked like does she bite sure um, but it's a great experience for 
for me to be able to teach when the kids come by and sort of teach them how to approach a big dog like that and like to make sure that they they first they ask me can I pet her and then how to pet her so that they're not like pulling out of her ears or her tail or that type of thing um, and they they love it the, and Moxie is is normally pretty calm and cool in her in her cockpit and she'll allow people to come and pet her and take photos um, and it's just a, a really nice experience. So your dog, Moxie, is obviously used to seeing people and other animals. Uh, are there any times where she starts barking inappropriately? You know, if you're sitting at a border crossing, maybe there's another dog there or, or something like that happens. And then how do you deal with it? Yeah. Okay. So that is a great question. <laughs> um, yeah. Moxie is really, I think, for the most part, very well behaved. Um, and at this point, quite experienced in terms of travel. That said... Um, so I'm thinking of one case where we're, we're camped out uh, by one of the lakes at La, uh, Lagunas de Montevideo, right? Uh -huh. Lagos de Montevideo. So um, we're at our campsite, you know, and a dog can naturally get a little bit territorial about sort of the campsite. It's their, their temporary home. Mm -hmm. um, but everything's cool. It's like a Sunday morning. We're taking our time uh, making coffee and scrambled eggs. And then all of a sudden, like a, I mean, I don't mean this to sound the wrong way, but like almost like a walking dead scene of like this horde of people starts coming. All men. All men. And, and, you know, it just like kind of st very startling to just see this whole group of people coming. And it turns out as they get a little closer that they're all carrying machetes. <laughs> so, and it's just us like it camping by this lake. Now, hang on. Do you know what they're doing when, when they're coming towards you? Or are you starting no, to wonder as well? No, not at all. There's like a group of like, uh, there are probably like 50 to 75 of them that have come down and they're all walking and they, they just like appear out of the trees and sort of yeah, over the, the Over the ridge. hill, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you just kind of like, uh, what do we do? And I think Jess like sort of instinctively grabbed Moxie. Yeah. Because the last thing we needed was her, you know, she still, she got, uh, what do you call she it, the, the hankles or whatever got, her, her you know, perked her hackles. Hackles go up, yeah. <laughs> yeah get, get perked. And so she starts barking. Um, but fortunately, you know, Jess grabbed her before she would start bolting at them uh, to men with machetes. Um, I, I don't I don't know if I like froze in place or if I started to, you know. Um, but it turns out, like, they, they got a little closer and then they just start hacking at the bushes and the grass. So we go up to him and ask him, like, guys, uh, what's, you know, senores, like, what's going on here? And the, uh, this is like every Sunday we come out to to um, landscape, basically, <laughs> so that it's nice for the tourists. <laughs> they were there mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. And nobody has a proper lawnmower. They just use their machetes. So, yeah, that was one of those, like, you know, where Moxie got uh, perked for good reason. And uh, we got freaked out as well. Mm. Now. Another one that that um, was actually a lot scarier. So we were um, at a national park sort of near Cuernavaca, um, Mexico. And, you know, we just started we, we kind of rode out there. We thought there was going to be sort of some campsite or something. Couldn't find the campsite. A little bit of middle of nowhere, some some ranches and things like that. And at one point we see this guy walking around sort of a property uh, with a, with a gun, with a, with a handgun. And we obviously took note of that. And <laughs> okay, well, we continue riding maybe, um, just another couple of minutes mm -hmm. and find what we thought was the perfect wild camping spot. You just kind of dip off the dirt road there into the, into the woods. And you've got this beautiful flat spot that's like covered with nettles and super soft and wonderful. Um, okay, great. Like let's set up camp here. Um, and I think we were pretty relaxed, but you're always sort of aware that the occasional traffic that comes by. Well, at one point, and, and in these places, Moxie is off leash. I mean, there's no requirements and she, we're not worried about her running away. And so it's, it's great. Well, at one point uh, at, at nighttime now, maybe nine o'clock or so, mm -hmm. um, this car pulls up and we just kind of freeze in place. I think, I think Jess, you were in the tent and you just, I like, just like covered myself <laughs> with my sleeping bag. <laughs> you can't see me. Yeah. So, so, um, I, I like clicked into kill them with kindness mode, right? When it became clear that they saw that we were there and they, they actually started, um, shouting at us like mm -hmm. acampando, acampando, like, are we camping? 
And so like, okay, go to super friendly, every, you know, everybody's best friend mode. And I start going up to them and, you know, senores, how are you? It's nice to see you, <laughs> you know, all these things. And Moxie was not catching my vibe. She was just absolutely barking the hell out of them. Uh, <laughs> or she was picking up more on the actual situation, you know, uh, seeing, yeah, you know, seeing so. the threat. I mean, yeah. It has, I mean, the dogs tend to have such an amazing radar. Oh, yeah. But in this case, it was totally failing her because these tur- turned out to just be like totally good local guys from the nearby village that I think were coming off of work. And, uh, you know, knew that that was like a spot where people sometimes camp. And they said, no, we're just checking to make sure everything's okay. And, and I was like, I, I guess I, because I had so switched over to friend mode, like I didn't get enough. So instead of just (laughs) saying, oh no, we're fine. Thanks. It was like, well, let me tell you what's going on and how are you guys doing? Where are you from? Meanwhile, all I hear is Moxie barking at them. Greg's trying to hold her back. Barking the hell out of them. I'm trying to make, you know, best friends for life. And all these, these poor guys want to do is make sure that we're okay. And then go into town and have a few beers like on a Friday night, you know? Right. And, and so finally, you know, they go and, and it's all fine. I turned to, to Jess in the tent when she like unfroze. And I'm like, I, I just, I don't really feel like I got, <laughs> like, like I got what I was supposed to get out of that. But they didn't feel threatened. Well, probably because you're in a vehicle, but they didn't feel threatened. Have you ever had it where somebody feels threatened by the dog? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, I really don't, uh, I, I can't recall any time where, where a dog, where they feel, felt threatened. I will say that, um, a number of the volcanoes around here. So one of the things that we love to do sort of a, during ride trips is to, um, take like a, a, an overnight where, you know, you leave the bike at a local town and then maybe you get a little, like those three wheel moto taxis or tuk-tuks or something to take you to a trailhead and then we'll we'll backpack up to the top of a volcano since there's like twenty something in mm-hmm. in Guatemala, and and that's a just a fantastic way to sort of break up a ride trip as well as give the dog and the human something super cool to do. Um, in a lot of these cases around here, um, there there's concerns about the security. Yeah, you know, on those there's trails. been some robberies. Yeah. And, and so a lot of, um, you know, a lot of tourists don't like to do it or the police will certainly tell you don't do it. The locals will tell you don't do it. And, and we've had just zero problems and it's hard to really draw any conclusions other than, you know, one robbery that occurs in a year becomes this big story that everybody talks about. And really your likelihood of getting, having any problems is nil. But it, it's not lost on us that having this big dog that's accompanying us on the trail as as locals, you know, with machetes and so forth are, are passing, um, you know, does make them think twice. Yeah. And like Greg said, like the dogs have a good sense about if there is danger. Yeah. So if there is somebody who is a- acting a bit sketchy, Moxie will um, she will bark um, and sort of warn them off. And that seems to get them to to move along. When you say robbery, are you talking about somebody who's actually holding you up and and threatening you to to take your stuff, that sort of robbery? Yeah, there have been some of those here Mm. at the volcanoes here at the lake. Yeah, uh, you know, they'll have machetes, they'll have like a a really ancient pistol or something, but that does fire. And so, yeah, I mean, it does happen. It's not nearly, you know, as in all cases, it's not nearly as, as common as you're led to believe sort of. Um, just by word of mouth and, and so forth. But um, you are aware of that as an issue. And especially since you're not just hiking in the middle of the daylight, but then you're, you're obviously wild night. camping either on the summit or somewhere, you know, up on the trail. Mm, don't you find this a bit of a crapshoot? Do you feel like it is when, when you're doing the trail? You're thinking, well, I hope we don't run across it, but. No, we, like we, for the most part, we're pretty okay with it. Um, we do try and be as safe as possible. Um, some of the times if they, they do offer like an armed guard, uh, as a guide, um, and there are places where you do have to take them like for a certain distance, because that's the area where there's known to be robberies that take place. And so we, we will do that as well and, um, just try our best to, uh, to follow along with what they suggest. But like Greg said, for the most part, it's, it's quite rare. Um, some of them have a, a worse reputation than others, and we just, we make sure that we try and like do the safest routes that we can. What's your backup plan if, if, if that happens? 
Well, I mean, certainly we're aware that the gear we're carrying is replaceable. And so you're not really putting yourself in a mental place where um, you're defending something that is unimportant. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um, if if it's going to get taken, it's going to get taken. It's not, um, I mean, if, uh, if they want to take Jess or Moxie, that would be a tough decision. <laughs> <laughs> between you mean deciding the between the two? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. I mean, that, that, that would be tough, but, right. um, but no, I mean, for the most part, you know, um, I think there was one time when uh, whichever drone between crashing one drone and the other, we Drex had, a, had five, we've had, uh, Greg said five drones. The drones oh, wow. that we bring up Crashed. to the, the top. Yes. Thank you. Um, technical and, problems. And, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, and a little bit of user error, just, a little. Right. but you know, you get a little sort of, you're, you're thinking around, the, the dollars and cents of that of like I'm carrying expensive stuff and I don't want anyone to take it. But, um, you know, I think it's a broader sort of topic of um, so we've had a lot of people on um, north south trips, RTWs and so forth that have naturally come through Lake Atitlan. Some have stayed with us and, and certainly we've met up with, you know, for coffee with a lot of, of travelers coming through. And there's sort of a, a rule of thumb that, that we've encountered. Um, people who really enjoy and do well in Mexico, they've, they've reached Guatemala and they're like, oh, Mexico was fantastic. We loved it. It tends to be that the rest of their trip is also fantastic. And the people who really didn't do so well in Mexico tend to you know have a number of sort of hiccups or issues. And the con- to the extent that you can draw conclusions, it's usually uh, an attitude thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in a trip like this, you're really vulnerable to the things going on around you and to local people and so forth. And to the extent that you really put yourself in a positive mindset about being open to these experiences and, you know, that, that example of killing them with kindness rather than getting um, defensive and and potentially aggressive – you know, people who just kind of are approaching it openly, really, by and large, I mean, we haven't heard of any bad experiences uh, that seem, and it just seems to connect with people's positive experience or a positive uh, mindset. When you say do so well in Mexico, you're talking about adapting to to the way of things in Mexico. Yeah, like we get people who will, will say that they felt like they were um, they were taken advantage of or that there were a bunch of bribes or that it was just a very like anxiety provoking country, especially if like if they've either never traveled outside of the States or Europe and this is sort of their first experience and something that's a little less developed. Um, so we do get some of that um, and people feeling really just sort of uncomfortable with sort of the the maybe the lack of rules or um the, the lack of law that can be there. So, the, but the people who seem to just roll with it and can understand um, about the people that are there and, and and go with what's what's happening at that moment, they seem to do really well further on if they go down through Guatemala and Central America. Mm. Even how you set yourself up, we, we talked a, a couple episodes ago, I think on, on Raw about um, carrying weapons. And I was just thinking when you were talking, Greg, when you were telling the story about the people coming down in the morning with the machetes, I was thinking, imagine if you had a gun at that point, you, yeah. you could have reacted completely different, you know, sort of taken a stand, um, you know, and saw this as a threat and been aggressive. It, it could have been a very different scene. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. There's you just really in our experience have one posture and that is, you know, being friendly and open and, um, you know, things things can happen. But generally, generally they don't. And and what we find is like a lot of times um, you your attitude will provoke them to happen or not. Um, People are are sort of vibing off of you, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're putting out and. And that has a lot to do with it. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've definitely seen from people, you know, coming through here that the ones who are, are better able to um, be open, be friendly, sort of just jump into what they're doing and let their guard down a bit um, tend almost, you know, as a rule of thumb to, to just have a much better, fuller experience. How long have you guys lived in Guatemala now? Um, we're now coming on, or just started five years. Five years. Wow. So you're, you're in your fifth year now. Yeah. So, so what's that like? I mean, obviously it's good. Otherwise you wouldn't have stayed there because nothing's holding you there really, <laughs> from what I understand. 
um, obviously you enjoy it, but, but it, it, you know, Guatemala often has a, you know, a, a, a reputation, I should say, well, I don't even know if it's reputation, but I mean, people will, will hear that country and think, oh boy, you know, that's uh, you don't want to go there or, or you certainly don't want to live there. So what's it like? Well, uh, I mean, certainly we would say that it's, it's pretty fantastic. And, and that's, you know, the only thing that's kept us, uh, I guess a lot of the fact that Roughly's production is is here and the artisan women and tailors and everything uh, that kind of has its claws in us as well. But <laughs> sure. But but for but you said choice, you can do that from the road as well anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's choice more than more than anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that let us down here is when, you know, some number of years ago, when we did a north south trip. We came through um, the Guatemalan highlands and really just fell in love with sort of the the beauty of the place, the diversity in terms of the um, the different small communities and um and how rustic it is too yeah know? i mean from an adventure riding standpoint it's it's absolutely spectacular so there's there's a there's a lot that it has in its favor in that sense um as you know any, like down to the weather even it's yeah. like eternal spring here it's always like in the mid 20s celsius or like what the 70s and fahrenheit all year round well i like the sound of that Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, part of that year round, it'll be raining, blasting rain, but it'll still be like 70 degrees. It'll still be gorgeous. Right. But, um, yeah. And, and so there, there's, yeah, in terms of a, of a riding destination and so forth, it's, it's absolutely fantastic where, where we live, uh, by Lake Atilan is sort of a jewel of the world. And Jess, um, Jess's family comes from Switzerland. She, and she likes to kind of say that, you know, if this if this lake and these volcanoes was located in Switzerland, I mean, the 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 millions and millions and millions of euro homes and everything that would be dotted around it is just you know unthinkable. But um, so it's kind of this uh, I don't want to say untouched gem. I mean, there's plenty of tourism around here, but uh, it, it's really something spectacular that and this way that all of a sudden you're able to live in a just a gorgeous place like this. Mm-hmm. So Girl Up, you said it's in 120 countries. Is it there? Is this an organization set up in countries where women have certain rights and freedoms or, or are they in areas where they don't and they're trying to get them to sort of speak out and, and get things changed? It's both, actually, which is really cool. Um, so there are they do have Girl, girl Up uh, clubs all around um, all around the world. Um, we're actually going to have a chance to visit a number of them as we pass through. So we will be able to see some that are in the Middle East, in, in Africa, in Asia, um, and then in the States and in, in Mexico and here in Guatemala. So we're going to have a chance to, to meet the girls and see the types of uh, the changes that they're trying to make in their communities um, because they really are these youth leaders that have the ability to to really change their circumstances and the circumstances of the, the girls around them. What do they do with the money? I mean, if you manage to raise 100000 yeah, it's huge, it's a big chunk of money. What will they do with that? Well, the Girl Up clubs um, are really the sort of mechanism that, that Girl Up has for how they advocate. So a lot of there's a lot of leadership training, which certainly has a cost to it. Um, the resources that those clubs need to um, advocate effectively for gender equality and the other, you know, rights and, and needs that they have. And and then, you know, beyond sort of the training and the resources, there's there's obviously their their need or their the resourcing that it requires to get their messages out mm-hmm. in whatever the sort of local country and local mechanisms that they have to do that. Their message out to like you mean to to girls that might benefit from their program, exactly right, and mm-hmm. and to the larger community that it, you know if there's policies that they're advocating for or against, um, needing to to spread that message in terms of how this will affect us as girls, um, and you know what this means in terms of our rights. Now, now the money that you raise is it all going to charity? Is this pay for the trip as well, or how, how are you working that? No, so the the one hundred thousand dollar goal is purely a fundraiser. Um, at Roughly, which is our ethical outdoor dog gear brand, uh, where we make dog collars, leashes, beds, bandanas, poop bag dispensers, all dog gear. Um, here, and the motorcycle carrier. <laughs> and the motorcycle <laughs> carrier. Um, 10% of all of the sales that we make during this trip will also go to that fundraiser. So that's also going to help us reach that $100,000 goal. Oh, wow. um, so not only are are we, we asking for donations, but we, as roughly, are donating ourselves because we really believe in it and we want to make it a success. And we think that uh, it would be a great way for 
people to get involved and really feel connected to this fundraiser um, by seeing us as well, uh, promoting it ourselves. We've got a couple of roughly um, leashes as well. Very nice. Uh, we really awesome. like them. They're, they're great. <laughs> you guys, as you said, you're leaving March uh, 2022. We're going to put the links in, in the show notes and well, best of luck. I mean, I, I hope you guys have a, a fantastic trip and I hope Moxie enjoys it as well. Thanks. Thanks. We're, we're really looking forward to it and it's going to be uh going to be an interesting trip so yeah if if you if people want to follow along best thing to do is to uh, subscribe to us on youtube at our on two wheels and four paws video series there um, where we'll have those weekly episodes so you guys can see what we're up to jess greg thank you very much thank you so much jim thanks jim was Jess and Greg Stone from their home in Guatemala with their dog, Moxie. We've got links in in the show notes for this episode um, so you can get connected with what they do and what they're planning to do all on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Their website is goroughly.com. Again, that link will be in the show notes. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did baking it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, we need your support. The show is built on a model of advertising and listener support and uh, believe me, it's only a small fraction of our listeners that actually choose to support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. You can do any, any amount, but anything $10 or more gets you a, a sticker sent back at you for your pannier, your toolbox, whatever an Adventure Rider radio sticker. Anything $50 or more will get you a shout out on our, raw, on our raw show that we do once a month. That's our other show that we do. You might want to look at that again all on the website. And uh, we'd love to get you on our patron account so we can count on you every month. Anyway, drop by and have a look. I'd really appreciate it. Time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening once again. And I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Bill Dragoo with Dart. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 